Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I am your host, Logar the Barbarian, joined by Tony Vicinda of Plus One EXP. Welcome. Hey, so good to be here, Logar. It's good to have you. And you've got, well, Plus One EXP. Could you tell the listeners a bit about that for those who may not have heard of it? Yeah, if you've heard of it, you've probably heard me say this a lot. But if you're not, uh, Plus One is a weird little brand that multi-classes in tabletop game design, beard and skincare alchemy, and the Bardic College of Content Creation. Uh, So we help connect amazing designers with great players and amazing players with great designers. Uh, We do that through uh, creating actual play content, short reviews that help people dive into system. We sit down and we interview creators. We'll host uh, community conversations. We'll do other video content over on Twitch and YouTube that helps uh, the community engage more deeply uh, with designers and helps designers get their work um, out there, especially a focus on indie um, OSR and small press games. So we don't cover a lot of things from large publishing houses, evil hats about as big as we would get as far as a publisher goes, uh, Gauntlets, Possum Creek. We love working with all those guys. Uh, but we really love working with small people who are putting zines out. Uh, we also make our own uh, games, um, which you can find at Plus One Games. Um, most recently, Down We Go. We're currently working on Through the Void, and we have other little things we'll drop uh, from time to time. And um, the beard and skincare alchemy thing, we make uh, beard bombs inspired by classic tabletop <laughs> tropes uh, and other stuff like that. We'll have lip bombs and other stuff coming out a little bit later on this year. And all that money just kind of goes back into supporting indie RPG creators. That's excellent. That's excellent. I I personally, uh, what you see here, the listeners can't see, but this little bit that's on my face right now is about as long as I let it get. I can't. I yeah, cannot, I mean, I cannot. I it, I don't I know think what why people probably think crazy. of you, <laughs> their mental image of you is probably this huge shaggy beard. Um, <laughs> I, you know. I cannot. I In fact, my even my hair like uh, is too long for me right now because I haven't been able. I just didn't want to spend the money to go to the barber. Sometimes I'll just shave it in the bathroom. But I just hair in general, like I can't, I can't, it drives me crazy. (laughs) That's that's fine. I mean, part of part, that's part of why we do it because there are some actual like, hey, it's easier to grow this stuff and it's more comfortable to grow it when you have, when everything's taken care of. Uh, But that's the reason we do skin stuff because not everyone has a beard, but it turns out like 90% of people have skin. And so that 1% is, 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 that's, that's an very unfortunate people. Like it's hard. (laughs) They've got other stuff going on, you know, those people without skin. That's difficult. Yeah, like I think, you know, I, I try to keep Marine Corps regs, even though I'm not today. <laughs> I still stick with that. It is what it is. Uh, I, I just, you know, I dry shave in the field, you know, out there. And, and that's, yeah. I can take that off with anything. But yeah, anyways, ramble about skincare. <laughs> I can definitely appreciate I, I, I like to. I probably need some skincare stuff. I, I've used it in the past. I haven't so much lately. I. That's a lot. I used a little bit of my daughter's face mask last week when I was I was in the I was going to take my showers. I'm going to try this face mask stuff out. So it was all right. There you go. <laughs> so, so I liked something you said, like you talked about like engaging the community or something along those lines with what you're doing. And and where I'm coming from, I, I like the whole community aspect of things as opposed to like, you know, the big corporate aspect of gaming. Yeah. Did you? Yeah, there's a huge, there's like the the community that we're a part of it. It's really interesting to even use the term community because really like tabletop gaming is a community of communities, right? Um, like we have people who are very solidly entrenched um, in, in the OSR, right? In, in, in OSR kind of thought or new OSR kind of thoughts around stuff. 
Uh, within that, not just based on design ethos, so not just based on like, are you OSR? Are you new SR? Do you think OSR is only retro clones or do you think it's like none of those conversations? Those all kind of are like ideological pieces. But even within that, um, like there are OSR groups that are uh, wonderful and progressive and welcoming and delightful. And there's other ones that are horrid little spaces that no one would ever want to go down into. And there's a whole range in between where people overlap. Um, even within, even if we step outside of online or conversational communities, um, you know, somebody might be playing in one game every week. That's their primary community that they experience uh, games through, or they might be in three or four games plus online forums talking about games. So by the very nature of who we are as um, as an RPG community, we're, we're groupings of groups that are kind of built together. And some of those groups form into actual communities of conversation and some of them are just people kind of standing in the same space our our real hope is always that we're helping places become actual communities um you know when we when we interview a creator we're going to ask some of the same questions that everybody else asks um because we want to make sure that their their work gets shared and people know who they are but like um, yesterday with Adam, you know, online, we spent a lot of time diving into like, what, how does being a touring musician and your fascination with indie concepts and your love of horror, how do those things all kind of come together within the way that you design or what is it like to, what are the kind of things you want people to experience around the table when you're designing? Um, and those conversations give a lot more insight into, okay, when I'm sitting down to play a game from world champ game co what does the designer want me to experience? And even if I don't care about that, even if I don't want, I can still sit down and have a great time, but giving people a little bit more of an insight. Uh, and then also talking about like, how do we behave within the community um, to actually foster humanity um, is a big thing for us. Like I'll be rude with people. Um, usually that happens when people are come at me. <laughs> Come at me in a very <laughs> rude way. Uh, and I feel not, I, I think not in a super defensive way most of the time, though certainly sometimes I need to just be like, no, that's what you're doing is not, it's not good. It's not okay. I don't, that's, there's not a space for that uh, here. Like I'm very protective, pr protective. Like we have a discord server. Um, I'm very protective of that space. Like we just started it opening up to people who are not direct invitation by me or a few other people. Uh, and that's terrifying in some ways, just because, the conversation of is there somebody trying to slide in here who has some sort of weird toxic thing that they're obsessed with is a thing that happens in the RPG community spaces that's such a weird thing over something that is an important part of my life. But in the grander scheme of, I think, anybody's day to day experience who isn't a full time designer is very small. Like, I don't understand the need to tear other people down. I don't understand the need to toxically try to subvert other people's communities we see a lot of that kind of stuff and so plus one kind of exists in a lot of ways in opposition to any of that weird stuff um you know like we are positive without being toxically positive like we're totally able to be critical of things that we love uh but what you'll see me post online typically is like here's what i love about this thing here's why i think this thing is great if i have critiques those are going to come out in conversation with the designer i'm going to ask them questions i'm going to give them space to respond um if we have an issue at a play table, we're going to have an open conversation about what happened and how we avoid that in the future. Uh, but the biggest thing I want is for us to actively be behaving in a way that enhances the humanity of the people that we're engaging with by honoring the other people around us. Um, when they, and, and though I would say broadly, everyone is deserving of that honor, but when they are behaving in a way that honors other people is really where we're going to come into that. And if they, if they start to shut that down, 
that's where I'm going to come in and start drawing very clear lines around. Do I want to spend my time with you? Do I want to be playing with you? How do I want to be interacting yeah. with you? Um, and there's never even like a, you, you only get one chance thing. Um, you might get another chance with me. You just won't get another chance with our community until I know that you're somebody that could behave. Well, this took a really dark turn really quickly. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all good. No, I mean, those are things you have to talk about. And from my experience in the past, like my game group in my gaming community has been literally my table for the vast majority of my life. I didn't yeah. even interact in like online role-playing like social media groups until a couple of years ago. I, I largely, my online presence was very intertwined with political organizations and stuff like that. So it was all politics. And now after I deleted that Facebook Hey, hey, I was at profile years ago and I put a new one up. I was like, I'm going to start getting into game stuff and I'm not going into any more of those places <laughs> and dealing with that. So I don't do any of those kinds of groups anymore. It's all game groups. One thing that I have noticed, and it doesn't matter where you lie on a political spectrum or what it, you're into, there is a certain, I would say a certain type of behavior that's occurring online that's just toxic behavior yeah in general and it's popping up in all spaces it's not a role-playing game specific thing because it's definitely involved was was very present in all the political groups i was a part of yeah. there is some kind of just just maladjusted behavior that's just i don't even know what the word is for it cruel mean yeah like <laughs> I, I tend to i tend to evolve around words like uh dehumanizing and false types of behavior and the false part can be really hard for people to struggle with um it, it can be a little bit more abstract though for me i think it's the more it's the more accurate term even though it's the it's, it's a little bit more abstract um the, but the dehumanizing one i think is what we see a lot right like somebody makes a comment you disagree with them so you come back at them hard and probably harder than you need to tell them not only now some there are bad takes out there and you can tell somebody that bad take is a bad take when it's not when it is, you also tell somebody some of these a bad take when it's not like I looked at a comment yesterday for a while that I just firmly disagreed with because somebody was calling uh, the zine, the zine month folks out for being too gatekeepery. And I was just like, but gatekeeping isn't inherently a bad thing. And your take on the fact that gatekeeping is is a bad it, like it's a weird take like you by you saying this is gatekeeping, you're making a judgment that is a weird judgment because everybody gatekeeps and gatekeeping is, is a normal thing to do to protect people uh, within a space, right? Like I gatekeep the discord for our community. Um, and that doesn't mean we won't let people in. It means that I just keep a very close eye on people initially when they're in there. Um, and there are people who, if they ask to join, I'd be like, no, you're out. Like, absolutely. Your behavior is not, is not welcome here. Um, however, like, the reality is that's not about power. That's about protection. That's about um, saying, here's a group of ideals that we've gathered around in this space that we inherently uh, want to make sure are taken care of. And if you're in this community and you're committed to this community, we can have a real conversation when there's a failure. If you're somebody who's coming in here specifically to make problems around this because you disagree with the core reason we've gathered, then this isn't a space for you. Let's go out and have public discourse about that. And we can yell at each other, be angry or be calm and be charitable. Like all those things can happen. But like gatekeeping is an essential aspect of that. This person was coming with it. All gatekeeping is bad. I'm like, well, that's a bad take. Like that's a bad take on whether gatekeeping is appropriate or not. And I wanted to just push back really hard. I didn't. I didn't because I was like, I don't know this person. 
the tone they're using is very neutral. And I had to remind myself, like, I'm reading a tone into this uh, because it's text and I don't, you know, I don't get it. Uh, but we see that. And, you know, for me, there, there was an immediate attempt to like kind of make this person a very specific type of individual in my mind. And so that, so that I could be angry at them. And so when I say like, a lot of times what we're seeing that we respond really negative to is false or toxic behavior. Lots of times we're putting that into the, into the conversation, which is our own toxicity coming through. Other times that person is being false or being toxic. They are presenting something uh, specifically to inflame others. And there's people who build their entire social media realities around this type of behavior. Um, those are people I tend to segment out of my community um, just because I want the ability for us to all be critical um, and to talk about things and to be very direct um, about what's problematic about something without ever dehumanizing uh, the creator or without ever saying this person is less than because of a design choice they made or because of a play style choice they made or a preference that they have or a thing that they typed into the internet that we are escalating into a big deal. And we kind of love all of us to get worked up, worked up, worked up, worked up, worked up about this kind of thing. And it is super contra to community to be able to, to, do that like and I, I and like I've, I've failed in this area and anytime like I've gotten worked up before I've said something before online and it's upset somebody I'm somebody who doesn't delete if I say a bad thing I only delete it if the person who I who who I who was upset about it asked me to delete it if somebody asked me to delete it I'll delete it otherwise I tend to let my mistakes stand because they're learning points for me they're learning points for other people but they're usually resolved by me getting into a, a message of somebody and saying like Hey, look, if I've upset you or if I did something wrong, and this has only happened a couple of times in game spaces, like I apologize. Like I was trying to have this conversation. And if that wasn't the conversation we were having, like that's totally on me. I'm, I'm happy to take the post down if it's upsetting for you. Um, or anything. And usually there was like a simple misunderstanding along the process. Sometimes there wasn't. Um, but it's one of the reasons why I think it's so important to say, like, the only time I should really be getting super critical in public spaces, like for me, this is anybody else do what you want, is is when I'm in a, in a relationship and, and when I'm in the, when I'm giving the other person who I'm talking about the ability to respond. And there's a very big difference between um, someone's a murderer and a Nazi, and that's a factually well-documented public fact about them, to uh, I didn't like this person's game design because of these three reasons. Um, those are very different, yeah. different realities. <laughs> but, but if I didn't like these person's game design for these three reasons, um, if they're a corporation, whatever, go ahead and talk about them online. Uh, they're not a person. If they're a person, though, like message them, ask them a question, uh, find a way to engage them, uh, ask, the, ask the community generally, but possibly, hey, I really love so-and-so's game. Here are three points that didn't make sense to me. Does anybody have any insights on these? You probably get the design to respond uh, in most small indie spaces because, and it may be. Yeah, that was an editing error. Um, oh man, I didn't think about that. We should have play tested more. All of those things are fine, right? Um, or it may be that they'll tell you, here's what you're misunderstanding or here's what you missed. And then you'll know, and then you'll move forward. You can ask questions and be critical and do those things without, without sacrificing the humanity of the person that you're talking about. Like somebody being delayed two months in getting their game to you isn't them being a horrible human being and ghosting you. Somebody with an editing error doesn't mean they don't care about their product um, or trying to, to con anyone. <laughs>
Well, let me, I've, I've often said, I don't think it's a role-playing game book unless it's got at least one editing error and or typo. <laughs> right, right. We'd all be shocked if that, that was the case. And that's almost kind of the fun of, of the games is being able to find those small things um, that, that don't, don't quite make sense or that somebody didn't think about, um, especially when it's a zine weight thing and you know they're probably going to do another print run that's going to be better next time around the iterative nature of that design but this also this happens in the on the you know i talk a lot about design space this happens at the table also like figuring out what's the best tone and what who are the best people to sit at the table um, and by best i mean who are the people who are going to sit together and have the most fun i don't mean like are they a great player like i love mixed communities of new players established players uh people who know the system better than i do even if i'm running it uh, people who come from different experiences, different backgrounds, think about things in different ways. I love very diverse communities sitting down at my table. The one thing I tend to ask everybody to be in on is, hey, what is the game we're actually here to play, which will vary based on what we're actually sitting down to do um, and what's kind of the tones that that game's going to bring up that we want to explore. Uh, the other thing that I ask people to be really all in on is like, we're here to have a good time with each other um, and nothing uh, should get in the way of that good time. So if you're if you're treating another player here in a way that's that's less than um, then this isn't going to be a table for you. And I'll I'll remove you from the group if that's going to be the case. Now, does that mean two people can't argue about something? No, absolutely not. You sh your characters and you can 100 percent argue about things all you want. Let's just do it in a way that honors the real humanity of the other person and realize at the end of the day, pause. We can all just go like eat pizza, take a break, get some air, come back and decide if whatever we're really upset about right now, a die roll, uh, whether the GM telegraphs something well enough, uh, if somebody else, um, you know, got the, you know, got the slice of pie that your character wanted to get, whatever <laughs> it is, like we can argue about those things. But if you're getting actively very upset about it, let's pause, let's take a break there like there shouldn't this should not be the case um and i say that from running games like and and playing in games with people who are far more experienced as well as writing them for my own children as they were learning how to play there were lots of times where we'd have to take a break pause wait three or four days sometimes to have a conversation about why were you so upset that you didn't get that jewel and you know them being like well i really felt like i should have had it well great so did the other person like, why do you like, and, and their, their die rolls are what decided that. Like, I don't understand why you're upset about it. Right. Um, because it's not like it was something that anybody chose. It's just how it ended up working out, you know? Um, and just kind of trying to walk through that with them after the fact. And I don't think anybody should ever be trying to talk to their players like they're their children. Um, I just happen to have had the experience of talking <laughs> to my children as players. And oh, so, no. <laughs> um, you know, like there's, there's some of those realities that'll come up. And I think, I think anytime we're willing to put a game or uh, a book or a conversation above the humanity of another person um, that we're really kind of violating for me, what fundamentally helps build community and and there's there's a lot of interesting ways that comes out for me as a content creator especially because i am very positive there's a lot of times people assume that's false and i'm like no i'll send a really strong notes back to people i'll reject projects because they're not ready y'all never see that because why do you need to why do you need to see me in private tell a creator 
your game is not where it needs to be for you to go to Kickstarter right now as your first game for the for the level of funding that you want. Um, you need to do you need to do an editing pass on it. You need to build this much of your audience, um, and you need to solve these three mechanical errors before you go to a game before you before you start putting it out there that I can do content around it. Um, I'll I'll give people that direct feedback in private. Why do you need to know? I'm telling somebody that like it undermines their ability to then bring you that game later on at my table. Like uh, if I have a problem with a player and the way they're behaving, that hasn't become evident to everybody else. I'm going to have a conversation with that player. Hey, I noticed that you're not sharing the spotlight. Uh, you keep on over talking people. Um, you have, you've never brought snacks. Is everything okay at home? Like uh, don't worry about it if you can't, but you know, like, the agreement was y'all feed me IGM for you, um, you know, whatever, whatever sort of weird cultural realities we're engaging in there. Um, like it's going to be a private conversation. Um, it's not going to be a public one um, unless they make it public. And um, and for me, like that's the space in which that lives. Um, putting an entire community on blast because I don't like something they do seems really weird to me. Um, critique that tries to pretend like a very real person that's in our community isn't going to read this blog post it's very obviously about them it's a hard thing and 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 if anybody is hearing that and thinking he's talking about me i'm not i'm talking generally about the community if you think i am feel free message me i'm happy to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation <laughs> with you because that's the way in which i do things uh, but we do this a lot like somebody puts out an idea and rather than being able to go and maybe marvel at that idea a little bit, even though I may disagree with their definition of this or their nuance around that, like, can I go and appreciate it? But I kind of draw the line when articles or concepts or conversations are just like all of these people's work or thing that they do um, isn't good. And it's, that's, that's, a, that's a very common thread in our community. And I think if we want to see critique really flourish, we've got to figure out ways to make people hear critique um, in the same way that if we want to see better play styles flourish at the table, uh, we've got to make sure our players understand, hey, here's the thing I want to try tonight at the table. I want to have um, in the middle, I'm going to ask you guys a couple of questions uh, about your characters, uh, things we may not have thought about before, because I want to see how they emerge. And then I want to incorporate those into future sessions going forward. Great. But I'm going to cue people up for kind of what I want from that and then look at the conversations that emerge. I'm never going to look at my players and say, you're all doing a bad job considering like how your childhood backstories may have influenced the, the thing. Because <laughs> they're probably just not thinking about it. Right. Like, yeah, uh, the game may not be asking them to. And if I want them to consider that things and I want to do some fun narrative stuff with that, I'm going to I'm going to prep them for the fact that I'm asking them that question. I'm going to ask them the question. Then I'm going to honor the response I got by incorporating it in. And I think we we can see that. I think we see those types of things played out at different levels across all the types of communities we engage in in game design. I want to I want to touch on something real quick for while we're still here talking about this as um is trying to think of the best way to articulate this. We I, like I've heard in spaces people complaining that independent designers and stuff like that or they feel like they're always advertising or pushing their stuff in these places, but but at a point like. In my mind, I try to bring those people out and I try to showcase them and I as much as I can and give them a chance. And I see that yeah. there's something similar going on over there. And like one of the things is like, unlike Hasbro, who has this right. marketing budget and owns a very culturally recognized intellectual property, right? right. You know, 
most independent creators don't have that kind of stuff. So they want to put something out in the world for others to see and enjoy. And they've been working hard on, they don't have the monies, the budgets and everything else. And putting that out in the community, I think I see that that's kind of, I've seen some of that going on over where you're at as, as well. Yeah. Um, so this, this, this is a bit of popular. I feel like I, I don't think it's reached discourse levels yet, but it's been a popular <laughs> conversation for the last, last couple of weeks. And that's, you know, and, and my kind of solid, consistent advice on that. And this is something that I, like, I was talking to myself for this advice primarily, because I do a lot of marketing, I do a lot of advertising for my own games, uh, for other people's games. It's the primary thing that we do. Um, I'll even, I'm very even commonly known to tell people like, we're not a journalistic source. We're a marketing group, like, um, which is true. Like I am not doing a journalism when I cover a game. Um, I am, I'm marketing. I'm helping that person showcase what's good about their game in a way that I hope translates to you picking up a copy. However, they desire you to pick up a copy, which could be free over on their itch. It could be downloading a drive through. It could be backing it on a Kickstarter. I don't care. Um, my hope is that you pick up that game to read or play, which are both great ways to interact with the game. I think, you know, D&D is huge. Pathfinder is big. Other games are whatever size. The bigger a game gets, the more we see conversations start to orient around play because we have enough people out there who are, and I don't use this term just pejoratively, but who are just players. They're just people who are showing up with an interest in playing. They're not designers. They're not anything else. In the indie space, none of us are near that size. We don't. We don't even touch it for the most part. Even um, even like J Dragon at Possum Creek, right? Who's um, go back Zeba's bed and breakfast right now, depending on when this releases. Um, the uh, you know Jay is uh, you know got a got a, a couple hundred thousand dollars coming in from Kickstarters every year, plus whatever sales come through their site. It's a it's a very good indie small press company. Um, the um, they don't come here, but anybody else does. But they're big enough now that there are people who are just going to be talking about their games from a play standpoint and just enjoying the play and reading and consumption of their game. And that happens at a certain point. Morkborg has people who love to just play Morkborg and want to talk about playing Morkborg. But we always see, because when you sit down to play a game, an overlap between designer and player, um, that's just that's just a part. Even if you are just a player uh, in you know air quotes, you're still designing things as you go because you're in, you're producing a narrative that moves the game into new spaces. That's a form of design. GM's a little bit more so. Designers on a large scale. But we can't have play-centric design unless there are enough people rallied around to have that. Like at your table after you play, you can talk about your experience of playing really easily with the five people who just did it. There's no designers in the room, so you're not going to have a design-based conversation. If we want to shift away from, from marketing and design-based conversations, the best way to do that is to start talking about play more. What is it like to play this game? Um, the people who I think do this better than anybody else um, in, in the in the indie design space is Gauntlet Publishing. Um, Gauntlet Publishing grew out of a play group called The Gauntlet, um, which is tremendous. Anybody should go check it out online um, if you want to play a bunch of different RPGs. Everything they do is rooted in play. And so like even just over the course of the last couple of weeks, making sure I'm intentional about putting out questions that are just play or prompt oriented which can feel clickbaity but if we really want to see things and to a certain degree they are like when i'm like i think one of them was like uh you're in your addict uh you find a potion like 
you take a swig of it it's a potion of whatever so it's like you name the potion prompt you tell me what the potion does prompt right um, and it got a good response and it got a response outside of my normal followers because most of my normal followers are designers or um hobby uh hobby nerds who are super into the publishing side and new game side of what we do some of them are players uh but i don't ever touch the dnd and pathfinder crowd i guarantee you from the responses a lot of people who responded to that prompt were from the dnd pathfinder side of things which is great lots of times i'm sitting around a table rolling d20 and adding stats to it um, i'm using common fantasy tropes that any dnd player whether they know the system i'm playing in could hop in and easily have a conversation about we tend to intentionally exclude them because they play the big dragon game um, but the reality is a lot of times if we're going to have a conversation about play there's no reason not to invite them in um, asking questions about what GM technique, asking questions about play technique, asking questions about, hey, what do you think about this type of design thing? I, I asked a question about how species are going to come up in Through the Void, our, our upcoming sci-fi release, uh, and how we're going to manage some of that. And I got responses from very different people than I, than I normally would um, because I was asking more of a how do you like to see species handled in sci-fi settings, less of a I'm making an indie game uh gum check it out though i very much was clear i'm making an indie game please go check it out and that allowed for different conversations to emerge and so if we want player input if we want players to find our games we have to have more play-centric conversations around what we're doing and we have to kind of ignore the size of our game we have to figure out what's the good questions we can ask to do this and here's the hard thing at the end of the day it's still marketing yeah. right uh, <laughs> um it's a different type but at the end of the day, any designer who does this is probably making the choice to do it sheerly on the fact that they want other people to find their games so that when they make the pitch, that person comes and backs their project or buys their project. But yeah, I think I think if we if we so if we want to see that shift, what what we have to do is we have to shift the types of conversations we're holding. And I think it goes back to me, like kind of some of the other stuff like. I want, I want to be able to put stuff out that people can marvel at a little bit. We, we do that with art a lot and we'll get a lot of, you'll get a, see a lot of conversations around art come up and art's great because it immediately centrally comes into a different space. But I think it's great to put out like just little bits of very clear, uh, very clear questions about that are kind of pulled away from your mechanics and really more about your world and putting those out there and putting them out in the public space and then asking players and GMs, not other designers to give you feedback into what they're looking for around the table and to then be able to take that into your design process, I think is great. Um, or your stream process or your whatever. Like um, I, I think a lot about the fact, like my, my good buddy, Aaron King was like, Hey, early on when we were starting to stream was like, I want to read something that's going to make me a better streamer and know better streaming techniques as a player that doesn't really exist, you know? And when we even asked online, we got very odd responses. Um, <laughs> you know, about technology and other stuff. And it's just, but like we were looking for other streamers, tell us a little bit more about what you do to get ready. And we got people who were consumers who were like, um, what I'm really looking for is crisp audio quality on the thing. So here's the microphone I recommend. And I'm like, that's uh, great. Well, I, I would say that streaming a game and playing at my table and I, i'm gonna be 100 honest i haven't watched much streamed games in my lifetime that's fine um i but my i i did like i said uh when we bought the new car I was dry i had a long drive and i tried to check out the critical role and i and i've heard a few here and there i feel that 
streaming a game versus playing at your table kind of have two different approaches in some ways. Like at one point in time, you're kind of, at least me as a DM and, and players, a lot of times these things seem to be playing for an audience, whereas opposed to interacting like you would as a board game more at your table. That yeah. makes sense. I mean, the only difference for our streams, I won't say the only difference, one of the main difference for our streams and the game you would play at home, because we're a learning channel, so that we want to show the bones of a system. We want people to know how to do it. Um, we don't focus highly on performative realities. Like we'll do voices, we'll do other stuff, but like uh, we're very clear that we're bad in the same way that people would be bad sitting at a table at home. We're bad on stream. The biggest difference is it's like having somebody who's sitting there in the room with you who is, who's like, I didn't want to play the game, but you're just kind of, because you want your friend <laughs> to be included. You're like asking them questions. You're like, Hey, we've got an NPC coming up. Like, what do you think we should name them? Hey, uh, do you have any ideas for this? Like just kind of tossing it to them as if they had showed up late and didn't want to play to say, what do you think about this? Just to make sure our friend who's there for those couple of hours is included. That's the biggest difference in our, in our streams and in a game I would play at home. Like we're not, we're not super performative. Um, we don't, even though we have professional voice actors and other people who will come on stream with us, there's no expectation that anybody who does, who does, who comes on is some of them are comedians, some of them are performers uh, and that's great. And we love having them on, but a lot of them are game designers or people who love playing different systems. And that's who we have on because that's, who's going to play it at home. Now, I think we are semi-distinctive in that reality. I think there's tons of people who do that. I, because we don't do long ongoing stuff, we do mostly one shots and short and, and now very short campaign arcs. That's, it's just such a weird thing for us to think about the audience who's going to show up next week, because it's going to be a totally different group of people playing um now here's the deal and uh, this is a response to my my good friend jody simone who popped into a stream said hello to all of his friends and hopped over on twitter and was like uh <laughs> actual plays are so cringe if someone showed up at your house and watched your table game uh at home they'd be like this is weird and cringy because <laughs> they don't know like it's they're not part of it they're they're watching from the outside inherently rpgs when you sit down um are weird and awkward especially if you're playing with a new group of people uh, in a new system and we do that multiple times a week um and when it's great it's great and when it's great you can actually usually tell like oh these people have played together numerous times before or think about games the same way or came in with a lot of the system knowledge needed to do this like um, our two part of the between earlier this week with chase Car not the between um brendawood bay with chase carter um jason cordova and david from the the gauntlet um where we're because they're they've got that game coming up it's, it's a tremendous mystery game uh jason's a tremendous gm Chase is a friend of mine. Uh, David and, and Jason have worked together and, and run the publishing company that's putting the game out. Um, we all came in with a pretty clear concept, and it was a really good game. Um, however, I would say that the episode we had done of The Between, which was about a, a month and a half before that, which was with uh, Max Lander and Sean F. Smith and Jason was better because I play with Sean and I play with Max on a regular basis we have rapports we have triggers jason's a phenomenal gm who gives space for all those things and it just kind of comes out so that that group that's sitting down to play matters tremendously and we're aware that we want to like the, the most performative part of ours is like i want to trigger all the moves that we can possibly trigger so that people watching this get a sense of how you play the game but I'm never like, I want to force this in narratively. Like I'm going to yeah. make a totally different character decision based on this. I'm just always looking for that. But also that's me. Like if I'm playing a game at home, 
I want to figure out how all this stuff works. I want to, I want to do it, not, not narrative triggers, but I want to push all the mechanical triggers to figure out how they work together so that when I'm playing in the future and I hit those narrative beats, I am immediately able to hop to whatever the mechanical side of it is in a seamless way that's super enjoyable. Now we're coming up about on time. Could you tell the listeners where they can find you online, how they can follow you and check out your streams and the games that you have coming out as well? Yeah. If you're into the weird cringe nature of uh, actual play <laughs> stuff, uh, you, you can head over to, <laughs> to youtube.com slash plus one EXP uh, to catch all of our content. That's actually where everything gets archived. So our, our actual plays, our interviews, those short too long didn't play and inventory management review videos that we do, uh, our community conversation, all that's hosted over on YouTube. Um, you can join us live on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Tony plus one. Um, you can go to plus one dot games, check out all of our games or plus one exp.com to check out our beard bombs, lotion bars, and our games that are out and in print, um, as of this date, along with some of our friends games that we host on that site also too. Uh, but you can find me at plus one exp on any social media platform. Um, and if you're looking for a great community to join and, and all the stuff that I just talked about sounds great to you, uh, shoot me a link and would love to invite you to join us over on discord. Well, Thank you very much for coming on. It was great. It was great talking with you. If you all enjoyed what you've heard today, please give us a positive review wherever you're listening. And those of you that have, thank you so much. You can find us on Facebook. Just search Wobblies and Wizards. Wobbliesandwizards.com is our blog. I'm on Twitter at Logar Crom. We've got a Patreon. We could really use your support. We pay for most of this out of pocket. Those of you that have supported us, thank you so much for the bottom of my heart. And as always, keep those dice rolling.